Zach goes for the end zone. He's got Gunner Romney. He's got a touchdown catch. Zach Wilson standing strong and going long for the touchdown. Hand off to Toa. Katoa. A big yet. Another one. Lopini Katoa touchdown. Step up in a fire. Intercepted. Today is BYU Football Media Day 2019. This is Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Now, here's the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation. Welcome inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building here in Provo, Utah, for a special edition of Behind the Mic at BYU Football Media Day. We are 10 weeks and two days away from the kickoff of BYU's 2019 season, and today... We look ahead to the Cougars campaign with a variety of guests, including BYU's head coach and his coordinators, plus a number of BYU players and a couple of national guests as well. BYU Radio will, of course, have live play-by-play coverage of every game, and this year we do it with a new crew. Former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson steps into the broadcast booth. He follows Mark Lyons, who hung up the headset after 38 seasons as BYU's radio color commentator. Riley joining me as my new left-hand man, while former BYU receiver Mitchell Jurgens and Jason Shepard are both back with us as sideline reporter and studio host, respectively. And the gang's all here to get today's show underway. Riley, we start with you. You're the new guy. And uh, get used to us and get used to this. You're going to see a lot of us and hear a lot of us in the next few months. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. What a great crew to be able to spend the season with. We made the announcement a few weeks ago, uh, and uh, it was really uh, gratifying for me to see the reception you got. And I'm sure personally it was kind of feel good to be a part of the BYU team again. Tremendously. I, You know, part of the – there were many great um, – aspects of my experience here at BYU, but getting to interact and be part, be welcomed and embraced by Cougar Nation was one of the most memorable and one of the ones that I cherish so greatly. So with, with this announcement to see that kind of reemerge and to be able to participate in that again, it's uh, I consider myself extremely fortunate and lucky to be part of it. So Mitch, uh, bringing you in, uh, your career and Riley's career's Kind of sort of cross paths, but not really. Give us the background of timing between you and Riley on that whole thing. Yeah, so so Riley actually, his last year was 2012, and I was I was on my mission <clears throat> for that time. So I, I walked on in 2010, um, and so that's kind of where we overlapped. But I was the walk-on that, you know, nobody knew my name. I was just trying to get by, just trying to survive every day at practice. Um, and so when I got back from my mission, that was for the 2013 season. And so I just missed Riley. Um, but we, I mean, we, we threw some passes in our days a little bit in practice. And, and so it's good to work with them, good to be back for another season and, and just excited uh, to watch the Cougs again. And Riley, I'm sure you're proud of the, uh, of the career that Mitch put together uh, once you were done. Tremendous. And yeah, and he mentioned that 2010 year. I remember him very well because that was the year I was coming back from injury, had been relegated to the backup. And when you're the backup, you kind of, the, the one is thrown with the ones and you kind of get whoever else shows up. And Mitchell <laughs> always showed up. So that was good. We've, we uh, formed some chemistry there. But no, he's intertwined. You know, I consider our, our careers, I have the Utah State game. He has the catch against Boise State. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there. Guys who maybe were considered undersized or not highly touted out of high school, but made our mark on, on BYU football. And that's something we can be proud of for the rest of our lives. And Shep, uh, you've got someone new to work with uh, in the pregame, uh, Riley Nelson 
another former. We try and get you former quarterbacks yeah. to work with. That's kind of our thing. Yeah, you know, hey, it's it's worked well so far. There's no question about it. I mean, just being here talking football with you, Greg, and having Mitch here now, adding Riley to the mix, it, it just gets me even more excited about the football season coming up. And and there's a lot of reasons to be excited. There's a we we know the bowl game and the the night the 18 for 18 performance from Zach Wilson, but you have a you have a great quarterback by all accounts is going to be healthy, and I'm just looking forward to it. And you started off with Utah. Come on. It doesn't get any better than that. Shep, you broke away from uh, the BYU TV digital uh, web chats that have been going since early this morning. In fact, the first thing to really happen at Media Day was, was I think, a web chat with uh, Kalani and Fessy. Kalani and Fessy, yeah. We've, uh, we did the, uh, the 8 to 9 mountain time hours, and uh, we've got uh, another round starting in about 10 minutes uh, for about an hour and 45. And we've got it, it, this is that's what this day is all about. It's being able to talk to all these players, all these coaches, and just kind of bask in everybody's excitement about the upcoming season. So, yeah, I've got that over the uh, the next couple of hours. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, highlight of the morning of web chats for you? Oh, um, it was probably... I think it it actually was in that interview with Kalani and with Fessy because we know that that they're cousins, but they really feel like brothers growing up together. Mm-hmm. And even though there's about a ten year difference in age, it was great. We played a game with them. How much do you know the other person? And it, it was just fun to see them interact with each other beyond just a head coach and an assistant coach. Be able to interact as family and to and to have that bond. It was fun to watch them have that and kind of have that moment to share together. It was fun. One of the cool things about this day is we get to fire up this building and and really showcase all of its assets. And for people who've done this for a few years, maybe it's kind of blasé by now. For those who are kind of new to it, they're kind of blown away by everything going on on this media day. It, you know, it might feel like a conference. It, it's one school doing this. It's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, well, and you've got, you have representatives from, from ESPN, and I know you're going to be talking with some of them coming up a little bit later on in the program. But yeah, I mean, this is this is something that's, you know, whether it's BYU TV, BYU Radio, the web chats, it's it's everywhere. It's being streamed on ESPN3. I mean, it's it's fantastic. And every year, the way that this is handled, BYU Athletics does a fantastic job setting it up and really makes it easy for everybody that shows up to just come and enjoy the day. 72 days away. We're stoked about getting it going on the radio, of course, with Utah coming in on the 29th of August and to that game and to the first month of this season. Riley will hit you. Um, no better way to open it than, than with your rival in a lot of ways and no tougher way to open it than with back-to-back-to-back-to-back P5s. No one's got a plate as full as BYU's in the first month, and we'll know pretty quickly uh, what this team's going to look like. No question, and that's one of the things I'm most excited about it because while the focus is on those first four, let's not overlook programs like Boise, Utah State, Toledo, and Southern Florida, which have all won conference championships in the last few years and and have also uh, you know beaten BYU head-to-head. So those four games, this team will learn a lot about themselves, and I, I think Paramount for this team, which has a lot of reasons, as Shep mentioned, for, to be excited with all the young talent coming back and the returning starters and stability at the quarterback position. But they should be a team rather than resting on their laurels of all this potential that they're showing from from a team that approaches the season with that attitude to a team that approaches the season that we have something to prove and there's no better way to prove something than to go out and uh, beat those, you know, those logos we have in the first four games. Okay, uh, the pro to having Utah first and a con to having Utah right out of the Proto having Utah first is Utah perennially gets better as the season goes on. Think about last year. They were down to Weber State at halftime. Uh, of course, they came back and handled, handled their business in the second half, but... 
you know, if if they come out and start slow against BYU, they're a much more quality program than a, than one like Weber State, and BYU could put them away. So that is one of the biggest pros in my mind. The, the second one would be that it's the first game of the season. While we all think we know, nobody really knows until you strap it up and you kick the ball off what kind of team you have. So those are the biggest pros. The, the biggest uh, con— Or challenge. Or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or a yeah. challenge would be that BYU has a lot of key players, Zane Anderson, and Zach Wilson, these guys coming back off injury, and the first time they're going to be testing those injuries against live bullets will be against, of course, their rival and probably the best, if not one of the top two best teams on their schedule this year. Okay. Uh, Mitchell, uh, to you. Uh, by the way, second season for you on the broadcast. Uh, if you want to go back and, 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 uh, and recap season one in terms of learning the ropes uh, with the headset on, how to go? It was good. It was definitely, it was, it was a different experience. Um, you know, it was uh, one of the things that I recount to, to a number of people who ask how the experience was is, you know, it's weird not getting too much of the fan interaction because I've got the headset on and I'm listening to you guys all day, which is, which is awesome. Um, but, but you don't get too much of the fan experience. But it's, it's almost – I love that aspect. I love being able to listen. I mean, one, having Mark for 36 years, that was just an incredible experience, uh, learning from him, learning from you, Greg. And, um, and, and so it's just, a, it's just a neat way to be involved with the program, uh, to know the ins and outs and, and to be involved in the, in the play by play and so it's it was just an awesome experience and, and so grateful to be back for year two okay and year two has us uh, with quite the itinerary great trips themselves uh, you're going to hit hit the east coast three times uh, at least eastern time zone three times uh, tennessee which is sec country which is a special thing uh, in and of itself what are you looking forward to most uh, for the cougars in 2019 knowing what they have on on their plate yeah you know you look at the beginning of the season and and, and i, I kind of want to reflect on on the question you asked riley earlier is with such a thick schedule and tough schedule in the first four games, I think if there's a program in the NCAA who's prepared for the you know for tough four games at the beginning of the season, it's BYU. Um, we do this year after year. We have a we have a heavy load in the first four games, and so it's nothing that we haven't seen. And so I fully expect year after year as we continue to. Um, to load our front schedule with these tough matchups, Power 5 matchups, that they're going to come out ready to play. Um, we've got something to prove. Uh, there's a lot of young talent that I'm super excited to see, see them evolve, um, see them just develop as players, um, not only you know athletically, but mentally in the game. And so there's a lot of improvement that, that I'm really excited to see each of the players make um, and you know ready for a winning season and uh, to um, see what see what the season has in store for us. And when BYU pulls off those those marquee wins, national observers, they're not necessarily shocked or stunned or surprised because BYU's got a name. And Mitch, you and I were at Wisconsin uh, last year when BYU goes in and, and wins, and Riley will bring you back in for this. You know, BYU beats a Wisconsin, and yeah, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't win every game on their schedule, but that game, again, shows the national observers, well, there's BYU again doing what it does with a tough schedule every year. Yeah, and look, there's not... There's not conference realignment going on right now, but it is coming at some point. And so, and these are the type of schedules and type of games that you need to play to make your mark. So when it does come time to, whether it's realign conference or who, there's plenty of different uh, pathways that the NCAA can take going forward. But for BYU to best position, position themselves, taking advantage of these opportunities and getting those wins, staying relevant on the national scale by keeping our rich tradition and our unique tradition alive is paramount. And uh, I'm excited for the guys to 
you know, write another chapter in that history book in 2019. I'm excited that you're part of our team, uh, Riley. It's going to be a great season. Mitch, great to have you back in with us. We look forward to 72 days from now. Shep, let's get it going. Let's do this. I'm ready. Well, we'll let you get back to your web chats. We've got Kalani Sitake coming up right after this break. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel at BYU Football Media Day right here on BYU Radio. Handoff Katoa. Katoa sidestep 10-5 and right in the end zone. Lopini Katoa. First drive and first score for BYU. This is Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Well, BYU's last game of last season was Kalani Sitake's 20th win as BYU's head coach. Coach Sitake starting his fourth year on the sidelines with four Power 5 opponents right out of the gates. In fact, BYU's the only program in the country to face four P5s in the first month of the season. And Coach Kalani Sitake joining Riley Nelson and me now on BYU Football Media Day. Hey, Coach. Gentlemen, how are you doing? You do love this day, right? I do. It was a great day. Talk, talk about BYU football the entire day, so it's a lot of fun. And that just means the season's right around the corner. So that's a, that's the most exciting part for me. And we've got you with the new guy today. Yeah. Well, the, the new oldie, right? <laughs> so uh, um, I'm excited that Riley's part of the team. So looking forward to the season with him. Riley Nelson, uh, when did you first become acquainted with uh, Kalani Sitake? That was uh, probably 2004, 2005 when he was at Utah, and mm-hmm. I was getting recruited. Uh, Gary Anderson was actually assigned to my area, but uh, on a couple of informal recruiting trips down there, I met all the coaches and met Coach Kalani, and he had a mean, they had a mean crew down there. You were coaching D-line at that time, right? I was a linebacker. Or linebackers, with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, Gary, I was too distracted by the fact that Gary Anderson was trying to convince me to play safety for him down there. He, he pointed <laughs> out, he was like, hey, you can be just like Eric Well. I'm like, hey, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm not. But anyway. You so could it's, have done it's, it, though. It's been a while. It's been about 15 years, and, and it's been a great 15 years kind of going in and out. And and uh, I remember I got tackled in 2012 I, when he was a D coordinator at Utah. I got tackled in the sideline and picked me up. I can't remember, you know, and it's, it's always been a, a great relationship. Kalani, what, what did you think of Riley as a player? Extremely difficult to plan against and uh, just had, he just had this moxie about him too, you know, this, this confidence that, that I thought was really good for the, uh, the rest of the team. They kind of took on the, uh, the, the mice that he had. I, I, I honestly think that if, if he didn't experience any of these injuries that he would be one of the one of the best quarterbacks that came through here and he had that trajectory and and I was really impressed with how he handled even the injuries and the toughness that he showed and um I'm just glad he's part of the team here but uh, you know it's it's hard because I was trying to recruit him to be part of our team I didn't want to play against him and (laughs) and uh, how, how funny things end up you know looking forward in 2019 to have him part of the team and for me to, I was I was always a BYU guy to follow the team, even though I was at Utah coaching there. And I was interested in the one game that we played against them, but I always made sure to follow Riley and his progress. And I, I've been really impressed with him as a person. Uh, the football player is he's extremely talented, but as a person, getting to know him and and what he stands for, it's, it's amazing. Well, we look forward to a lot of uh, good days and nights uh, with you on the headset this season, certainly. To uh, to BYU 2019, Kalani, how much does the end of last season hint at what we might be all about this season? Well, I think the players are the ones that are running the show. You know, I, I, I um, they, they believe, and that's the, the key. That uh, I think as coaches, you can try to do as much as you can, get guys motivated. But that, that game last year against Utah – um, although heartbreaking it was, it was really such a cool thing to see our players respond from it. And I've seen the uh, a, a, a loss like that hurt a team. 
um, the next the next game, right? But I saw a different group. I saw young men that led the way and said, hey, we've got to learn from this and get to the next game. And the result was what you saw in the bowl game. But the 15 practices leading up to the bowl game, I was shocked at how awesome these young men were. And I was so excited. Like hmm. uh, I was just thinking to myself, this is going to be awesome. I wish we played Utah again right now. You know, and, and um, to win that bowl game and then to see it go from that bowl game to the spring football. I mentioned it in the state of the football um, part of our, program, our our media day where the guys that feel like they failed the team um, that got on the on the field, they were third stringers, um, and they felt like they let the team down and weren't ready. Those guys, you should have seen the approach that they had going into spring football, but it was a, such a cool example for everyone else to see that your moment could be at any time and you need to be ready for it. And being overprepared is way better. And I don't know how you teach that lesson than for them to go through that experience. E- even if we were to squeak out a win in that game, I don't think they come through the spring football with the same type of uh, approach, you know. And um, and I, I'm the head coach, and I'm watching all this happen. And I'm watching the leadership take form. I'm watching a quarterback that is not participating, but was a true freshman and earned and earned a starting spot. And I watched him become a leader and be demanding of his teammates, and have them respond with a lot of um, with with uh, with uh, you know, c- confirming that he's a leader, and then I watched as a guy like Jaron Hall killed it in spring and 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 evolved and became a much better player with all those reps that he got. And then I saw a competition with Joe Critchlow and Baylor Romney, and I I saw a group form, and we saw some deficiencies that we had, and we were able to approach them and try to get our depth better for the season. And but this is all driven by the players. They they they've been chomping at the bit for this game, and it's kind of. Their their desire and passion for this game has kind of has gone to the coaches and has taken taken root of all of for for all of us and and um, we're really excited for this. I can't wait for the seventy two days to go by. We can get this game on. You mentioned the sideline uh, spring that that Zach had recovering from the surgery as he is. You said this morning he's on schedule. He said he's on pace to be full go in August, and that's great. And Riley, you've got a perspective on what Zach is going through right now, right? Yeah, I had actually had two of these surgeries, one coming out of high school and then another one after my freshman year of college. And luckily I went on a mission where I didn't have the opportunity or I didn't ever need to be on a pitch count. It was go walk the streets and just uh, don't throw rocks. So, Coach, the question for you is, uh, is there a load management or a pitch count um, just to make sure? Because obviously Zach played through this injury last year, so it's one that if you have a high pain challenge, you can play through it. But I'm thinking more that, that uh, you know, because he is an 18, 19-year-old, a very aggressive and competitive kid that's going to want to rush back and do everything quick. To Are we going to keep him on a pitch count so that he doesn't end up in the same situation next year? Of course. And, and the, the great thing about this injury, if you can say that, is that the rehab, we have great examples. Drew Brees had this exact same thing happen, and so did Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck went off course of his rehab and re-injured it again. Right, Drew Brees. I think maybe being older was uh, was able to um, hold back a little bit more and stay on on pace and didn't push it. And there you have it. And these are the same people that did their surgery on Zach. And so as they're going through his rehab, they're saying you got to keep the, brew, the Drew Brees format and try to avoid being Andrew Luck. And so the, such a cool thing for him to see. And, and I'm sitting there going, thank you, right? Yeah. And, and this is awesome. And, and and so I think we're on pace because we feel good about the progress that we're seeing from that as as the um, kind of as the uh, standard for us to follow. 
Well, he's uh, as as uh, promising a quarterback as BYU's had, based on what he showed us as a freshman. And I get the sense that 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 with Zach, with the season under his belt, and and we've got a Bushman and a Hefo and uh, a, even a Romney out there uh, to throw to, a deeper running back core. I get the sense BYU could be a punchier team this year on offense. Is that fair? Is that a fair thing to, to expect? I mean, I think we have to have high expectations for this group, um, and I think it's their job to exceed them. You know, so um, I think when you're having the type of depth that we have at quarterback position, and you have an experienced old line, and you have capable receivers at tight end and receivers receiver and running back, then um, I, I expect production. But you know, what I expect is. Not even close to what Jeff Grimes expects from this group, you know, and so I, I'm looking forward to seeing this group get out there and play. And um, we have to have that aggressive mindset of letting the players play and let them make the big plays and, and trust them, you know. And I think having a, um, a true freshman win the starting spot the right way was it was imperative for us to move on from here mm. rather than just giving it to him. But it also allowed Tanner Mangum to realize um, his role as a, as a leader and also to be mature about it. And, and he set a really good um, environment in that group, you know, with with him learning and, and being a mentor to Zach. And it's kind of set a really cool, cool uh, mindset for the rest of the group. Coach, uh, switching gears over to the defense, my uh, I think we've got a ton of talent there. Obviously, this unit uh, performed very well, but I always worry a little bit when you have impactful seniors graduating that there can be a, a little bit of a void. So in Corbin and Sione Takitaki moving on, um, who were probably the two – not only the two, one of the two of the most productive, but also the two most well-known and guys who I know were extremely well-respected among their teammates in the locker room. Who are some guys that you see emerging to fill that? You've you've talked about how important these players, the expectation that they hold and the standard that they hold themselves to. On the defensive end, who's emerging to hold that standard and rallying the teammates in that unit? Well, I think it's important that they um, do it themselves, right, and that it's an organic movement and, and – um, it's funny because I think the guys that are really taking the place of replacing Sione as a leader um, has always been Isaiah Kafusi and Zane Anderson. Um, Zane been hurt and same with Isaiah towards the end of the year. It kind of elevated Sione's leadership role towards the end of the season. But those guys have been leaders from the, from the get-go. And um, I think they're going to be able to fill in for his role quite finely. And I think that if you look at um, – you know, I think when we talked about it with with Coach Lamb and Coach Tuyaki, they mentioned Devin replacing um, Corbin. I think that that might be the uh, a good movement. But Devin's only a sophomore, but I think the guys like Zach Daw and others that are in that group is going to be it's going to be really important for Kyrus and um, other guys just to step up. Lorenzo Faltea and Earl Mariner; those guys kind of do it by committee, but. I think you can really look to the defensive backfield like Austin Lee, Troy Warner, Chris Wilcox, and the leadership. And and um, they've played a lot of games. Diane Gonwuluku is a guy that he doesn't like to speak up much, but he has to now. But the, yeah. the team, it's important for him. They listen when he speaks. And, and um, that's always hard for a guy that's, you know, well, I don't talk much. Well, tough. This is yeah. the team needs you. You know, and, and I think we've really focused on being un- uncomfortable. Do you think I like speaking in front of people? Right. I mean, I'd rather not, right? But <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think Diane's learning a lot now. He was, I was really proud of him today. 
and that's probably the most a lot of people have heard him talk. And um, But I think the team really needs his voice to be heard. He'll be on my show uh, next hour. We'll hear more from Diane. I'll ask him this, but I'll ask you the same question. Is he a safety or a corner or whatever you need? He can play whatever. He can play running back. He can really do it all. Um, I think he thinks he can play quarterback, but we've seen him throw. He can't do that. <laughs> but I, I just like the confidence in him. Uh, I, I've I've been around a lot of really good players and seen the versatility, and, and he reminds me of like Eric Weddle versatility type. Um, I mean, I know Eric was a great player, and he's playing in the NFL still today, but I think it's okay for Diane to have high expectations of himself. He's a big playmaker. Um, you didn't hear about him much when he was playing corner because he was doing his job, right? But I, I think um, now that he's a senior, he, he can embrace the role of corner, nickel, safety, free and strong. And um, I just I, I think he's going to be a big part of our success as, as a team. And he's just he's a tough young man, and I, I love the way he's he's. Um, I just like the maturity that he's shown, and him being married is, is a, a huge step for him. It worked a lot for Sione, and I think he could do the same things for, for Diane. And he gets in the end zone on defense, and occasionally <laughs> on offense, too. Um, you were top 25 in scoring defense last year. There were a lot of really strong defensive numbers. If I were to guess, if there was one thing either you or E were thinking about maybe wanting more from this year, maybe a little more havoc, a little more mm-hmm. in the way of, uh, of disruption, is that a fair thing to say right now? Because you are solid in so many ways right now defensively. I believe so. I, I think so there's a kind of misconception of, uh, of great defense. Um, even in the years that we've played, we, we were, when I was coordinating, we led the, the, um, the NCAA in sacks right, one that, year. That, that right, that was the big thing for you. Yeah, yeah and, and, yeah. but, um, what people don't realize is the bulk of our sacks came in a four-man rush. <laughs> so, um, I think it's important that we create havoc with a four-man rush playing base defense. Um, Obviously, we can dial up some pressure here and there, but what you sacrifice is an opportunity for an offense to make a big play when you take one less guy in coverage. And and against these really good teams with really um, with really um, quality quarterbacks, it's going to be hard to just test them. Uh, but I think it's okay with the mindset that hey, there's nothing wrong with blitzing everybody, um, and and I think you can do it quite often. I, I'm at that position where I think that, that that can happen at any time. I want E to feel comfortable with his game plan, knowing that I expect him to do it whatever it takes to win the game. And um, and that, if that means blitz every play, then go ahead and do it. And if that means drop eight and that we can we have disruption, go ahead and do it. But I, I think I've given him free reign to do whatever he feels is comfortable in a game. And obviously I'm going to be overlooking it and giving my advice, but I do that on offense, defense, and special teams. And I think I, I'm more of the – go after it type of guy than, than anything. I, I believe if you practice something, then you better call it in the game. Otherwise, it better not be on the, on the call sheet. Ultimately, if you had to pick being highly ranked in sacks or being highly ranked in fewest points allowed, you're taking the second one. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'd like to do it both, but I think yeah. that's going to be the key for us to right. win games. <laughs> Coach, one, one of the big things for me as a player – this time of year is all about getting your body in in prime shape. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's changed from from back when I played, which is being now seven eight years ago, is the emphasis on prehab and recovery and really injury prevention. Because for let's go back, you you mentioned that Sac Lake, Sac Lake Sac Lake City team that you had, and one of the big things about Nate Orchard and all those guys, like they stayed on the field and they played all twelve and thirteen games, which mm-hmm. is part of the reason you were able to have such consistent um, production. What measures have either the 
players taken upon themselves or at a program and strength and conditioning standpoint are we taking to um, make sure that uh, not only guys are in tip peak performance shape, but they're also hedging and preventing against uh, potential injuries that could wreck the depth? I think some of the biggest problems right now with health in, in college football is overtraining. And, and I think that – I would agree, by the way. Yeah. And, you know, when we were when we were playing, it was – I mean, we're guys that both got injured quite a bit. But yep. um, I trained a lot. <laughs> and, 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 and the guys that – I would always get frustrated because guys that didn't train as hard as I did were fine. I think the key <laughs> for us is to, is to pattern our, 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 our strength and conditioning so that we're hitting peak performance um, by the time we get to the first game. And so being in shape right now does us no good. And so 72 days out, I think being in shape by the time we get to the first game is going to be really important. And then trying to keep it at that level for 11, for 11 more games. You know what I mean? And, and that's the key. But at some point, you know, we're going to have to use depth to keep guys healthy and then and be strategic on when they're going to be on the field. Obviously, you want your best guys towards the end of the game making sacks. And um, we've gotten to a problem with that with, with Sione last year where he was just didn't ever want to come off the field and he would start to start to fall apart towards the end of the game. And, and um, what we need to do is make sure that we utilize our, our – our depth so that we can keep those guys healthy. But at the same time, we overtraining is the biggest problem right now and kids feeling that they, they, they're not doing anything so nothing's happening. And so education is the key and communicating with our players and making them realize that the, the goal is the game, not right now. It's the same way in MMA fighting. If you look at uh, sports nowadays, too many people are overtraining. They're in great shape when they're not even fighting or playing in a basketball court. It's the same thing with football. Quick follow up on that. So, oftentimes the those guys who were grinding in the weight room, like you, like that was the best way to prove yourself as a as a leader. Or those were the guys that looked to. Unfortunately, it was uh, it's a double edged sword because, as you say, you had your best players trying out there to be leaders, and, and they were grinding their bodies down. And it came to the season; they were constantly dealing with injuries. What have you done to take steps to separate that, or, or I guess architected the program to where? You don't have to be out there killing yourself or, you know, bent, you know, just absolutely grunting under a 500-pound squat bar to be a leader. There are other ways. Yeah, and I think that having them around each other and not having the emphasis of being a leader as the guys that work the hardest. And then otherwise, all the injured guys or have no leadership Or that doing a bunch of weightlifting is hard work, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah so it's changing the, the narrative, right? Yeah. Where um, – being around and being part of the team and being a team player is the most important thing and not judging someone who needs to gain weight because his eating habits is, is, is not good enough, not judging him and saying, well, that's not a leader. It, true leadership is people that need that want to be led also and, and responding to what's being said. If if a young freshman who says something like, hey, don't, don't go on your knees in a run, says that and we attack him for saying that, then we're wrong. Right, and if we attack them, and say, "Well, you're, you haven't earned the right to speak," then that's a, that's a foolish thing. And so, if they're speaking truth, it's being able to respond to the truth rather than who's saying it. And that's what we're trying to get to keep the focus on. And so, and the other thing is to really plan our PRPs, and so you're not you're taking the intensity off of it, off of the players, and and you're saving them from themselves. You and I would, if we we were left on our own to do stuff, we would work ourselves to death because we didn't we didn't think that. I would go to bed thinking, and I'm, I'm just coming kind of myself into this, but I would go to bed thinking that 
um, if I'm not completely exhausted, I didn't do enough. Yeah. And that's not great education for my part. All. And this, these young men need to know that we need to feel that way after the Utah game, yeah. not, not 72 days before. That's tremendous. Well, we hope that Kalani's not completely exhausted yet. There's more media work to do for him. So we'll let Kalani go. Riley will uh, cut you loose till the top of the hour. We've got coaches Lamb and Tuiaki coming up next as our coverage of BYU Football Media Day continues here on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio. Set to throw. The lefty in the pocket. Pressure is going down. They got him. Big loss on the play. First sack of the day, and it's huge for BYU. You're listening to Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. As our BYU football media coverage continues, your media day, it's a look at BYU's defense and special teams with a specific position focus on the front seven. And as encouraging as the signs were on the offensive side of the ball last year as the season progressed, defense was BYU's calling card in 2018. Cougars defense ranked 24th in points per game, 16th in yards per play, 22nd in pass efficiency, 29th in yards per rush, and finishing top 50 on third downs. We bring in defensive coordinator and D-line coach Eli Satuiaki and special teams coordinator coordinator and assistant head coach slash linebackers coach Ed Lamb. Hello, guys. How's it going? Good to be Hello, here. Greg. So it's a media day. It's also a camp day, right? You guys are busy with that too, right? There's it a is. lot going on. There's a lot going on. It's good. How the uh, How's camp's been? Is this, how, how many weeks of this is for you guys? The first week or are you into it? A couple already? Yeah, this is, this is our second week of second camps, week. but before that we had to start off going to a couple other campuses and, and uh, camps where we were invited. And uh, this is the, but this will be our last week to close it out after this. Okay, and we are seventy two days seventy two days away from uh, game day, as I'm sure you might heard. Uh, you're both in your fourth season along with Kalani. Was there Ed uh, a five year plan? And if so, how's BYU pacing? Uh, no, no, there wasn't. I don't think that we could afford the luxury of a five year plan. I think <laughs> you know when you take over a losing uh, program, that you you know you kind of put together some ideas like that. I think it was uh, from day one for Kalani to be true to himself and uh, be his his kind of coach, you know, not not try to be uh, this, some head coach he had worked for in the past, some cheap copy of that. And he, I mean, that's that's his personality. Looking back on it, there was never any threat uh, that he was going to not be anything but himself. He's done that, and I think we've, you know, from day one, it's just been every every guy on the staff learning to get together or, or new roles for most of us. And uh, hopefully just, uh, you know, continue to get better and better at what we do and give the boys the best chance to win. No staff changes defensively uh, full-time on the coaching side uh, for you guys. Does it feel like you're in a, hitting, a bit, hitting a bit of a stride in terms of a chemistry as a defensive unit right now, coaching-wise? Uh, yeah, I, I really think so. I think the, the move we made last year, um, you know, I, I went to the linebacker position and uh, Preston Hadley came in and, and that ended up being, you never know how guys are going to uh, work together, but... Uh, you know, Preston's uh, in- intelligent, and he's got a good background, and he's also um, younger in age and, and relates really well to the players. I think he's brought a nice dynamic, so it's, as difficult it was as it was to replace, uh, you know, Steve Kalfusi and with the things we lost with that, mm-hmm. you know, I think there were, there were some other uh, advantages that we, that we gained with a new dynamic. From a player's standpoint, he, uh, defense, uh, team strength, as I noted last year, does what you have back – uh, compensate for the top talent you lost uh, from last year's team. Do you think? I think I think we've got a lot of good players coming back with uh, with experience and and uh, you know losing losing those guys that we lost last year. 
that did a phenomenal job, that led the defense, as well as just did a really good job on the field, is always going to be difficult. But uh, we're excited about the youth and excited about some of the kids that uh, we will have for, for the years to come uh, moving forward. And so it's it's always tough to replace somebody, and I, I like to really just use the words or the, the phrase that uh, you know another guy is going to come with his story and bring it to the table, and it'll be cool to follow him. And it'll be the same when they end up leaving, you know, trying to replace them and find another story of a kid that – that has made his way and, and has taken over. And so uh, we are definitely excited about the young kids, but always hard to lose lose good players. Speaking of that, and I'll get you both to, uh, to comment on this, knowing what you guys know about the Browns and about Sione, what was, what's reasonable to expect from him as an NFL player? Uh, you know, the, the thing that I'm really excited about there is I know uh, a few of the coaches and then have, have watched, you know, the head coach. And I think what you have is a, a young staff he's got a young linebacker coach he's got a young head coach uh they're all hungry and that's like i'm describing shonai right there and so they're they're going to love what he brings to the table every day just that intensity shonai doesn't care whether you're winning by 50 or losing by 50 he wants in the game he wants in on the tackle and he doesn't want to be the second guy in getting a getting credit for the you know a half tackle he wants to be the first guy there and it's a it's a flat out race against his own teammates to be the first guy to the ball e yeah, I think he's it's a it's a great fit for him. Um, all the <clears throat> reasons that that Ed brought up, and uh, I th- I think that staff is really just going to love him the way that he is and and the way that he plays, the intensity he plays with, and he's a he's a kid with his head on his shoulders the right way the right way right now, and he's uh you know focused and and determined. I love what he's going to be for those guys. Okay, before we get to your position groups, uh, one of the old school NFL D coordinators from back in the day, Fritz Shermer. Uh, he listed his uh, defensive goals and objectives, and first and foremost, of course, was keeping points off the board. That was it, right? Uh, you guys agree on that, I'm sure. Uh, then he listed a few other goals, and maybe you could each weigh in on which of these might be the most important to you. And these are from Fritz. Uh, physical dominance, big play prevention, three and outs, turnovers forced, and defensive touchdowns. Where do you come? I, I love the the order that he put it in. <clears throat> I think... Uh, you know, you, a lot of times on defensive side, you don't really talk about it, and it's not uh, emphasized as much. But that, I mean, this game will always be about physicality. Even when you're playing the corner spot, you want corners that are that are willing to to come in and make tackles and be physical. And I love the way that our our kids have played. I think that our our kids and and the way that they see themselves is is that. Um, and so I definitely agree with him as far as just that being being uh, at, at the top. Uh, dominating line of scrimmage, dominating physicality, um, and you know one of the goals that we have on defense is really uh, big, big play prevention. Um, you know, keeping them below a certain percentage, and and I would agree with that. Um, but no, I, all those things, and obviously he's a guy that's been around, knows what he's talking about. I mean, I've you know we we've we've kind of uh, talked about so many different st- uh, stats, right? That mm-hmm. that we think is going to make a difference. It's in- interesting the ones that you brought up. Uh, never really thought much about three and outs. That's obviously going to be the goal, but that's uh, definitely changed the game. Ed? Yeah, I, I love that uh, high up on his list, uh, physicality, because yeah. uh, you, you know coaches talk all the time, and I know coaches who think that you can't teach physicality. And if he's putting that in a, in a, in a coaching objectives, and I, I think uh, maybe I'm reading into it, my personal preference, but I believe that you can coach physicality and confidence and courage into players. And uh, and I think our staff does a great job of that. But then the other thing I, I like, it's not sexy to talk about not giving up big plays, right? People, fans want you to blitz and get sacks and get interceptions. And, and we love those things too. 
but uh, but our players at BYU really thrive on not giving up big plays, and it's become it's become part of our identity. Part of that is hustle. Part of that is the calls that that Coach Tuiagi just understanding risk reward, understanding times uh, areas of the field where maybe it's more appropriate to get uh, more aggressive. And I think he does a great job of that. And you see sometimes the zone team or the more cautious team, if you will, end up with a higher NT number than they maybe the more aggressive man team. It's often because of just that notion of things being in front of you. You're not chasing. You're you're helping to dictate where things are going to go. And you can still get results that way, too. Um, maybe 30-second, 45-second thumbnails from each of you guys on, on, on your position groups. We'll start with the Elisa and D-line, what you think you've got back and how you you uh, think your depth chart will maybe formulate? I, I love the front that's coming back. I think, uh, you know, the one that sticks out as far as uh, the guys that we've lost, obviously everybody talks about is Corbin. You know, uh, Meti, Thalia Uli was a big one as well, just losing him. But the youth that we get back, the experience that we get back, um, we are easily three deep as far as just D tackles that can rotate in there or even guys that can really compete to be starters. Um, not as deep at the DN spot, but we do have a lot of guys that are emerging. Um, young young guys that uh, that we think are going to bring a lot to the table. Zach Dawes really one that kind of um, jumps off the top of my head as well as as well as Devin. I mean those guys doing a good job. We moved JJ just recently to D end and and uh, wait wait. Yep, 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 yep. And so I think we've got a lot of depth, um, and I think that uh, we've got a lot of experience, and that's always fun to have when you can control the line of scrimmage and, and you can get a lot of pressure on the quarterback with just four guys rushing. Um, it, it really changes the way that you call the game, and it changes the way that you know corners are jumping routes a little bit more aggressively just because they've got a clock in their head as far as, you know, by now the quarterback is about to get hit now and then you you just see corners and safeties playing a lot more aggressive and so i think uh with the, with this group the guys that we have and and the type of kids that they are you know the the Elbacris and um you know Kyrus and Lorenzo and you know uh uh sure, the, the, i'm missing all a bunch of them but we're we're really deep there and really feel good about going into the season with the depth that we have so you've got one of the Kafusis and Ed you've got the other ones I do. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take as many as we can get. We're recruiting some as well. I mean, we, we take uh, as many Peelies and Kalfusis as we can get. And you've got Zane back at a linebacker, too, this year, right? I do. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, normally I'll try to use uh, media opportunities to send messages to my players that I'm coaching. And, uh, and this year's different, unusual, because um, I, as I'll tell it to you like I've told the linebackers. We've got Zane and we've got Isaiah, and they're proven, and they'll get the benefit of the doubt, and they are penciled in on the depth chart. Behind them are... Um, 10 or 12 guys mm. that can all rise to the occasion. and Many of whom um, played a lot in spring. Most of them, yeah, yeah. freshmen and sophomores. And I, and I love that group that we have. I wouldn't want to, if I was general manager and we had the opportunity to make trades, I wouldn't be out there trying to trade these guys. But to, uh, you know, to disrespect any of them by starting to, to put out 12 names, for example, I just, I just would rather let it work itself out. Let it compete it out, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and you'll, you'll be hearing some names. And, and, I, and I think a lot of them because that's the best type of defense is when you have multiple guys that can play and everybody stays a little healthier and a little more fresh. Sounds good. Guys, we'll see a lot of you in the season to come. Thanks for coming in today and sharing part of your day with us here on Media Day. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Greg. All right, coaches at Lamb and Elisa Tuiaki. Coming up next, the executive director of College Football 150, Kevin Weiberg, an ESPN senior writer and editor at large for CFB 154, ESPN Ivan Mazel. That's next as our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel Media Day coverage continues right here on BYU Radio. Zach goes deep down the far sideline. He's got a man, and it is Put. 
You are listening to Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Welcome back to Behind the Mic on this BYU Football Media Day, BYU's annual media kickoff, a perennially the first to be held and helps us to whet the appetite for the wave of media days to come around the country. So we get to one of the first high-profile opportunities to promote the 150th anniversary of college football itself. And this season's anniversary celebrations and commemorations will be uh, ever-present from the opening kickoffs in late August to the National Championship Trophy celebration in early January. You will see and hear CFB 150 throughout the 2019 college campaign. Hashtag CFB 150 will be the social media anchor for this promotional effort. In addition to being an important partner with BYU, ESPN is partnered with the CFB 150 organization for this year's 150th anniversary celebration as the ESPN family of networks will present a year-long multi-platform storytelling experience entitled College Football 150. My pleasure to welcome in the executive director of CFB 150 and longtime college athletics administrator Kevin Weiberg and one of our country's most veteran, if not the most senior college football writer, ESPN senior writer and editor at large for College Football 150, Ivan Maisel. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming in. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, for someone that's not at this thing every year, like you may not be, uh, impressions of media day for BYU, what are they? I'm flabbergasted at the size and scope of it, uh, but it speaks to all the platforms that the university has and the athletic program has that, that reach out around the world. Kevin? Yeah, I think the um, the facility here sticks out. You know, it's a great asset, and it's great to see it being used in this way to not only the, the broadcast media side of it, but uh, – these kinds of opportunities. So, uh, very nice setup. It was almost exactly uh, two years ago uh, when plans for this sesquicentennial were announced, and here we are two years later. It was a long time in coming. Uh, you, Kevin, were tasked with the uh, leading the committee, and it is a group effort, uh, in charge of putting together this anniversary celebration. Uh, labor of love may be a cliche, but it's appropriate for you, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I, it was a fun opportunity for me. I had kind of moved out of the day-to-day world of college sports, was doing some consulting things, and uh, Larry Scott, my old boss at Pac-12, reached out to me and asked if I'd have interest in getting involved with this. And Larry is chairing the committee that um, is kind of doing this. And it's really made up of uh, college football stakeholder organizations, the leads of those organizations. Um, but without question, ESPN was really a, a prime mover on this. They were an early adapter to uh, this being the 150 season. And uh, their programming plans are really going to be a very significant part of what we do. Yeah, so Ivan, on the ESPN side of things, uh, this is a passion project for you, too. Yes. And, uh, and ESPN's put together a, a robust schedule uh, of programming content to recognize this anniversary season, right? Uh, 35 hours of original programming on television, uh, an eight-part podcast series, about 150 60-second vignettes. One will run each day beginning in August through the championship game. Uh, .com will have a lot of written material. And, of course, the game day is going to do their thing. Sports Center is going to do their thing. So we really are going to do as much as we can to celebrate and commemorate. Not all of it is not all of the history is things to celebrate, but right, we will right. acknowledge it. I admire you uh, such a great deal as a writer and um, am so jealous of your skill. And I hope you don't mind if you'll indulge me if I read a little bit of your work to you. But it helps to describe why we are going to be talking about this all season long. And this is what Ivan wrote earlier this year. Passion fuels our fandom. Always has. Coaches coach to satisfy a competitive desire that their bodies can no longer satisfy. To change lives and to make a boatload of money. Not always in that order. 
players play for the love of competition, for the love of teammates, and maybe even for the love of education. But few of them coach or play for the reason that we will wear party hats for the next 12 months. You wrote this in January. For many of them, the sport is a business deal, a trade of services for money or scholarship. The rest of us invest our hearts and souls into our colors, our fight song, and our tailgate buddies. We invest in that place, somewhere between family and obsession, that occupies our autumn Saturdays, and let's be honest, every other day. I don't know that there could be a better yeah, summation. Isn't that really great, a great Kevin? job by Ivan? And I remember I saw him shortly after this was published and told him what a, a great job I thought it was in sort of capturing. It's really hard to capture this, the essence of college football in an essay, but I thought that did a terrific job of it. And it is Thank the you. it is the passion really that I think separates uh, much of what college football is about from a lot of the other sports. They're, they're passionate fans across the sports world, but that connection to people in place that makes up college football is really unique. We root for laundry, and a a lot of it is because of the the age you are, when you adapt, either you're going to school or it was your parents' school, but you're so impressionable, you know, your brain is so impressionable in your heart and everything that you attach, and it sticks with you the rest of your life. The best players yearn to play at the next level, but the next level never can truly replicate what you're going to feel at this level, right? Absolutely. I think that's true, and it is fair to say that the number of players who get that professional opportunity is relatively small. Minuscule. You know, it's uh, in the 1% to 2% range, I think, actually. So for the most part, uh, the people that participate in the sport, nearly 80,000 college football players across all divisions, this is kind of their culminating experience. And um, I do think there's so many great stories to be told. We hope we'll hear a lot of them this year mm-hmm. about how the game impacted uh, many of those folks, in- including many that didn't play on at the NFL level. I thought we were really comprehensive until Kevin just said 80,000 this year alone. Now I'm just really depressed. We're, we're only scratching the surface. You, you, Ivan, also quoted in this same piece um, – uh, someone in the game who was a former coach at uh, Delaware, his name was Dave Nelson. He was also a player and later on the rules committee, I think, for a long time. He said of college football, it's a ritual that transcends politics and entertainment, an emotional experience that will live for many ages because it is of the spirit. When all things pass, the spirit remains. And uh, here at BYU, uh, the spirit's going to come tumbling out on August 29th when we get to open with... The rival, right out of the chutes. Wow. And BYU-Utah doesn't get the same national play that others might. Rivalry from a rival. But you, I think, have a good sense, both of you, of what BYU-Utah really mm-hmm. means here, doesn't it? Don't you? Oh, yeah. No, I have I have covered a BYU-Utah game. I was, as a native of Alabama, it definitely passed my test for uh, vitriol and, and emotion. Uh, and uh, it's astounding and really wonderful. The schools are close together. The the fan base it lives together. They're next door neighbors. They work together, and that's what makes a college football rivalry. At the end of the day, it's it's having to uh, live with the result for better or worse for the next 364 days. Kevin, can you appreciate it here? BYU, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, having worked in the Pac-12 for those four years and uh, having attended a couple of those games, so yeah, I, I know. And of course, when you're in the conference office, you're also wanting to be sure that those guys in the striped shirts are uh, getting everything right. So it, you, you feel the emotion that's part of uh, part of the games as well. If there were a platform or platforms you'd like people to be aware of this year um, as this anniversary celebration continues over a span of months, what should fans keep in mind, top of mind, Ivan? Well, the two signature series 
that we're going to show. One starts September 17th, a Tuesday. That's the American game. It's an 11-week series, Tuesday nights. And then on Thursday nights, The Greatest, which is a companion to the American game. That will run for 30 minutes, I think, before the Thursday night you know, college football game. Uh, there are other shows. You know, there's, as we said, there's an opening documentary on August 24th, right after the Miami-Florida game of Week Zero. Uh, there's a documentary right around the championship weekend that will sort of close, wrap everything up. Uh, the podcast series that I'm doing begins in late August. The SEC Network has a 12-hour, eight-part series history of the Saturdays in the South, and I've seen a lot of the shows multiple times. They're very good, uh, and I can't wait for everybody to see them. And Kevin, I think uh, you both probably have more media days to attend over the next few weeks. Is that sure? Fair to say? That's right. Yeah, I'll be making the rounds here a little bit. But um, fans are all gonna, also going to see a lot of teams wearing the 150 logo on the mm-hmm. uniforms. So that'll be a, a common feature, I think, throughout the year. And we've built out some promotional assets for uh, the athletic department. So um, and it allows each school to kind of customize the their own look, their own photos, and tell their own stories. And we're hopeful we'll see those thematic approaches broadly utilized across uh, the season. All right. We look forward to all of that. Thank you both uh, for coming in, and we look forward to the season ahead. Thanks Thanks for having us. All right. Ivan Maisel and Kevin Weiberg. We've got more Media Day coverage coming up after the top of the hour here on BYU Radio. Zach goes for the end. He's got Gunnar Romney. He's got a touchdown catch. Zach Wilson standing strong and going long for the touchdown. Hand off to Toa Katoa. up in a fire. Intercepted at the 30-yard line. Isaiah Kofusi out of bounds. The Cougars get the ball back. Today is BYU Football Media Day 2019. This is Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Now, here's the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. It is our number two of our Behind the Mic Media Day special. BYU football, a little more than 10 weeks away from opening day against Utah. The first of four Power 5 opponents to open the 2019 season. The opener will be followed by a game at Tennessee and then back-to-back home games against USC and Washington. The season will be the second as the Cougars play caller for offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. In his first campaign as OC, Coach Grimes presided over one of the most improved units in college football. BYU's scoring improvement ranked ninth nationally as the Cougars were up more than 10 points per game over the preceding season. When it mattered most in the red zone, BYU's one of the best teams. 23rd in red zone touchdown percentage, which was an improvement from 128th just the season before. BYU was also a top 35 team in fewest turnovers and completion percentage, and that was with a ton of injuries and a midseason quarterback change. This season, that freshman quarterback is back as a sophomore. He's got a good group around him. The coach who will figure out who goes where is offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. He and Riley Nelson with me here in Studio 2. Hello, Coach Grimes. Well, first I should tell you this once again. I want to pay you to do my intro anytime <laughs> I'm being introduced for anything that involves my position. Consider me already on a pro bono retainer for you. Okay. So it's, it's already a done deal as far well, as I'm concerned. Well, whatever you're paying, they should pay you more. That's what I say. <laughs> and good to have Riley back. And Coach Grimes, uh, we welcome in Riley Nelson as the newest member of our broadcast crew this year. We think it'll be fun. I think he certainly adds a lot to the uh, broadcast booth, particularly hair. 
He's got. He's got. I'm, qu- I'm growing yeah. it out. I realized uh, I went a little bit shorter for the summer, just a little bit cooler look. But it's off brand for me. People expect the hair, so I'm growing it out. We can count on that. Well, awesome. whatever you've got, you compensate for what I do not have. <laughs> and it's always good to have a quarterback's brain on the broadcast. I think uh, I, I really benefit from the analysis, and I'm looking forward to being with Riley here and uh, his year one and your uh, year two. How do you look back on on well year one as OC at BYU? You know, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I really en- I enjoyed it from from the beginning to the end. Obviously, there are moments you'd like to have back as as a play caller. You'd like to have back as a coach, and wish you could have done better at at, at some particular moments or maybe scored one more time in a couple of games. But I really think that gives us the fuel that we need to go into this year and and recognize that you know there's still a, a lot of room for improvement. You know, I think we showed last year that. That we can play with anybody when we're on, but we I think we also saw that that when we're not at our best, we can stink it up pretty good. So a lot a lot of room for improvement. I think that fuels us towards um, excitement for this year. You might prefer that a quarterback who ended the season so well have a full, healthy off season to play and get better. That said, what was Zach able to do with the off season that still stands him in a good stead to hit it hard come August here? Well, Zach's got a, a love for the game that ex- exceeds what most people have. I think he just, I mean, you can see it in the way that he plays, the way he lights up when you start talking about uh, a certain passing concept or an opponent that we're going to play. He just, he, he's truly passionate about the game of football, you know, and I, I saw that in Riley when he played too and, and, um, I was I was here when John Beck was here and Max Hall and watching the guys who are great quarterbacks they love the game they have a passion for it and I think Zach has that and I think because of that if you have that passion for the game then you're willing to do all the other stuff that it takes to become great and so even though he wasn't able to take snaps this spring he's at home watching video until midnight instead of maybe watching some show on Netflix that that most guys his age are, are watching so You'll, I think you'll see a, a markedly improved Zach Wilson, even though he wasn't able to go through spring. It's been a long time since BYU's had a season with only one quarterback go 13 games. It'd be great if your number one guy goes 13, but history says you're probably going to need two at some point. Uh, that said, the two, if he's the two right now, is a heck of a guy to have right now. I think between Zach and Jaron, there's such a bunch of talent right now at quarterback. Agreed? Yeah, I've been on teams where we didn't have anyone as good as either of them, and a lot of teams that way. And so I've, I, I'm just tremendously excited. And, and obviously, Zach gets a lot of a lot of press, and he deserves it. He had a good freshman year, um, but Jaron deserves some too. I mean that that guy um, is just really, really impressive. Not only his skill set, really impressed with his ability to run, his ability to throw the football, but his poise for a guy his age is um, is really impressive. And uh, I think he's one of the best skill players on our team. And I think uh, a challenge for us as an offensive staff is to figure out how to use him. Riley, as someone who's been both uh, an, an incumbent and a challenger at the quarterback spot in a camp situation, how do you, how do you view what Coach Grimes has on his plate at quarterback this year? I believe it's it's the best of both worlds. I, I think one of the, and I know Coach Grimes is, is uh, 
has created a culture in the offense that um, is the one of the most ruinous things for any football team and any unit is entitlement. And so the the how you keep entitlement out of your program is you promote and foster competition. And you demand, you create a standard that demands that every player be ready to play at all times and and is competing and prepping to play as, as though they are going to help that unit that given Saturday. And um, that's what, to me, as I've observed um, from the end of last season through the offseason and spring ball, that's what's happening at the quarterback position, and that's what I think is happening at all of the different units of, across the offense. I think he'll be okay at this 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 play by this this color commentator gig. I think he's going to work out. I think so. Yeah. I think he's got something going there. Yeah. Uh, the additions of Emmanuel Asuka and uh, Tyson Williams. What does that do to your backfield beyond just give you a couple more guys? Yeah. Well, we obviously needed needed the numbers there from from the number of guys that we lost last year. And then last year wasn't a great recruiting year for us in terms of natural fits at the high school level in recruiting running backs. Um, and so we said, let's explore the junior college and grad transfer route. And, and it just so happened that we found two grad transfers that that were the right fit. And you don't bring guys in that just have one year left um, without expecting them to have a big impact. So I'm looking for great things from both of them. But like Riley just mentioned, they'll have to earn their reps just like everyone else will. And we've got a number of guys coming back who, who were with us in the spring that I think can can help us and, and provide – all three of the things that backs do, and so often people only think about them running with the football, but the ability to block and the ability to catch are um, are just as important at times. And so I think both of those guys will, will add a lot to our backfield. But what I'm looking forward to more than anything is just greater production from the position. We need greater production from our running back position than what we had a year ago. And so um, I think both of those guys will be a big part of that, but I also feel like the other guys will have a chance to do that as well. Injuries were a major factor, but it's been a while since BYU had a leading rusher in the 400s in terms of yards, and that's where our guy ended last year. Benefits of having a productive, go-to workhorse guy that's kind of your number one as opposed to benefits of, I've got a bunch of great guys, let's see who's hot. Um, I think there are advantages to both. The advantage for for a player, for a running back, is is he gets in rhythm. You know, I think most good backs, particularly if they're big backs, which both these guys are, um, they get into a rhythm and they begin to get a feel for the game. They understand how to set up a linebacker for a cutback, and they begin to see where the holes develop. And most good backs, if they're physical runners, they get better as the game goes on. And so there's certainly a lot of value in having that guy and that that camaraderie that comes with between him and and his line and tight ends who are blocking for him. Um, but uh, one of the things that we talk about all the time is that whoever can can do the job best is going to play. And I think we showed several times last year that we were willing to make a change at any number of positions. Some some might be obvious, like the quarterback or the running back, but who's playing left guard or Z receiver um, from any from one game to the next also changed quite a bit. And so... Guys having to earn their reps is something that that I do think is part of our culture and a valuable part of it. Where you did have great consistency was O-line. Four of your five guys played all 13 games, started all 13 games. Yeah, and you know a lot of people have said, if you look back on how the line played last year, there were a lot of comments about how the line played well for a group of young guys. They're playing pretty well given the fact that you don't have a lot of experience there. Well, we're, we're done with that now. We're beyond the fact that they don't have experience anymore or they're a bunch of young guys. Now they need to actually just go play like one of the best lines in the country. And so 
I really feel like for us to take that next jump as an offense, it starts with them. And if we're going to have the type of physical, hard-nosed approach to the game that that I want us to have on offense, it won't happen unless our offensive line leads the charge. And so there's there's a lot still left for them to prove. Now, James Empey had a redshirt season before last year. Granted, that said, he's a freshman center. Not every first-year OC is going to feel the best about throwing it over to a freshman center, which you did, and he responded and earned well-deserved uh, accolades as a result. Yeah, it, it, and he he's a great case in point. He had a really good year for a guy who was playing as a freshman, and um, he's got a lot of potential. He's one of the smartest players I've ever coached. He's a really good athlete, and now it's time for him to be one of the best centers in the country, and I think he can do that. Coach, uh, continuing with the O-line, my junior year, we, it was very similar to what I view this year in, in that it was a bunch of guys who I think at least four of the five had 15-plus starts under the belt of have, having played together. And it was it made life so much easier on me as a, as a quarterback, made life so much easier on our running backs. Just can you explain what, what you hope or what an O-line that has that much – you know, um, time in battle together looks like? Because to me, things like communication and the slides and the checks, all of that just happened by second nature. Now, when a couple of those guys graduated the next year, it all went away, and I realized how truly special that was. But can you paint a picture for the fans out there, maybe what what a perfectly gelled O-line looks like? Well, I think first in terms of experience, I think with in regards to football players, quarterback and offensive linemen benefit more from experience than any other position, maybe than in any other sport because of the strategy involved in our sport, particularly the knowledge that's required at those two positions. And so I think just from an individual standpoint, each of those guys will be significantly better for having had those starts behind them now. Now you bring in the element of them playing together as a unit and guys who have been in the battle together and they know if I make this call, I know my buddy's going to be right there next to me and I can trust that he's going to be there. I'm not going to question that. We still had some of that last year. And um, the other thing that, that no one would ever see are the things that happen behind the scenes. The, the inside jokes that go on in the locker room between the offensive linemen or the offensive linemen standing together to kick somebody off of one of their weight racks because they said that was their rack, you know? Those kind of things, um, I think, are just more potent within the offensive line than in any other position. They have to do more things together, both on and off the field. And so I feel like we have more of that now than we have had at any time since I've been here. When I was here before, I felt like we had that. Last year, I think we were lacking a little bit of that esprit de corps that an elite offensive mm-hmm. line has. Offensive line is your love and most of your career background, and you've got a new offensive line coach working with you and Eric Mateos. And a little under the radar, a kid named Spencer Patterson is also on board as a, as a GA, and that's going to be his focus as well. Is that fair to say? That's correct. Okay. So the group that you've got, new group in terms of staff, how quickly have they acclimated, and are you a team already? Yeah, without question. And Eric, uh, obviously I felt comfortable with him. He he actually took Ryan Pugh's place as my grad assistant when I was at LSU. And during that season, um, that was the season Les Miles got fired. Along with that, the offensive coordinator, there was a change there. And so the tight ends coach became the offensive coordinator. And so we were, we were void a tight ends coach. And so Ed Orgeron asked me about 
allowing Eric to coach the tight ends, and he did an amazing job with them. I mean, their 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 play improved significantly under his leadership, and and I already knew he was really sharp because he was working me with me and the offensive line. But watching what he was able to do with that group sold me on him as a coach, and so he's he's really sharp. Um, like I said about Ryan, when he came, wise beyond his years, just in, incre- incredibly intelligent, a little bit different personality than Ryan, but both of them very effective. And I think the thing that he's done that I'm most pleased with thus far is how he's just really built a bond with those linemen in a short amount of time and, and helped develop that camaraderie that that group, uh, I, I think, has needed to take that next step. And so they're doing great. Eric's done a great job fitting in in our staff room, and, and um, I think he's without question question is just only going to make us better. A couple of random notes. Uh, Gunnar Romney never really got healthy last year. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think yeah. he was I think he was close to full speed, but for a very short amount of time. And, and you know, he had some of those soft tissue injuries that that young guys can have from time to time. Um, but I don't think anybody really saw what he can do. I mean, I, I watched him in high school and was just um, really impressed with his ability as a playmaker. And one of the things, quite frankly, and probably the most important thing that we need to do as an offense this year in order to take that next step is have some more explosive plays. You know, I mean, there were there were times we did some good things, and we were able to move the ball at times, as you alluded to. I think we did a good job in the red zone, but we need more big plays, and I think Gunner's one of those guys that can get, that has the capacity to help us do that. Yeah, knock on wood. How how different does he already look to you right now at full health? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, I say yeah, right now, a, you last saw him in spring in true full. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah he, he's, he's a different guy. I mean, not, not only is he healthy, but he's also benefited from a year in the weight room. You know, I mean, he was a tall, slender guy when he got here and, um, you know, had, had tons of ability. But now he's probably 12 to 15 pounds heavier, mm-hmm. thicker, more durable, more physical. We'll do a better job getting off press coverage, and, and I think we'll be able to go up and get some balls. Let Riley jump in here one more second uh, before we let you go, but I'll ask a question about Matt Bushman. I, he may get taken for granted, having led the team in receptions and receiving yards in back-to-back years. Uh, it almost seems like you could throw to him on every play, and he'd find a way to get open for you. What makes him such a tough matchup and such a special player? Well, he has as good a ball skills as anyone I've ever been around. And then you couple that with a guy who's who's 6'4", uh, 240 pounds, and it's hard for, for guys to match up. So, you know, if you want to put a linebacker on him, most linebackers aren't going to be able to cover him. And even if they can run with him step for step, they don't have the ball skills he has, and he's just going to go up and get the ball over him. If you try to match him up with a smaller guy, a defensive back, then, you know, he'll just kind of post the guy up and, and go take the ball away from him, as we saw many times, particularly towards the end of last year. And yeah. I think that's one of... One of my jobs as a coach is do a better job getting the ball to our best playmakers, and certainly he's at the top of that list. Coach, my my last question is: so it's great to have so many familiar names coming back, and and I tend to take the optimistic view that that is in general a good thing. Others could see that uh, well. If it's the same guys, then we're going to get more of the same yeah. that we did last year. So one thing that on the teams that I've been on that's been vitally important is those players identifying specific areas in which they can improve. What's been the process to help each of those players identify specific areas of improvement, get better at the things they were already good at, and take places where they were deficient and become sufficient? Um, on a, and talk about the, either on a position group basis or an individual basis because to me that – and by the way, 
from talking to the guys and on a one-on-one basis, I have full confidence that that's happening. But maybe speak a little bit to the process of how those areas of improvement were identified and are now being tracked and accountable for that. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's one thing that is at times taken for granted because you just assume if he's coming back, he's going to be better the next year. Nothing just happens because you're a year older. You have to make yourself better. Um, so at the end of at the end of the season and at the end of spring ball, um, each position coach um, drafts a report on each player, and then he gives that to me. And then each position coach has an individual meeting with each position player, each player individually. Um, and then I do the same with those players myself. And so I get that report and it says, this guy needs to work on getting off press coverage. This guy needs to work on uh, tracking deep balls better. This guy needs to work on his footwork in the pocket better. This guy needs to get his lower body strength better. This guy um, has to improve his knowledge of pass protection. And, and a number of different things are at play there, but it starts with the position coach and then that information goes to me, and then we both uh, make sure that player is aware of that. And then if we're doing a good job as coaches, we're staying in touch with them during the summer to find out what they're doing because we have limited impact on them right. as coaches during the summer, as you know. So that's where um, that's where their knowledge of themselves and their self-awareness and willingness to work on it really comes into play. And hopefully those things are taking place. And, and like I talked about with Zach at the beginning, if a guy loves the game, then, then he's going to do those things. And I, I, I walked through the weight room the other day as I was coming in um, in the morning, and I just as I walked through, I looked out the glass window, and there was one of our offensive linemen out there by himself at seven thirty in the morning, do, working his pass sets. You know, and so yeah. those little things like that, in addition to the the player run practices that they're, that they're doing on their own, I think is what'll make the difference. That's tremendous. I think. Uh... I think that process is great, and I can feel there's an energy and a culture that uh, of accountability. Uh, probably, I think you have good leaders in each of the position groups, but also, like you said, I think you've done a good job getting a room together of a bunch of guys who love the game. And when you have guys who love the game, and it's funny you said, and are willing to do what it takes, they're wanting to do what it takes. And so that's what has me most encouraged for this season. Riley, good stuff from you. Coach Grimes, great to hear from you. Always good to see you, Greg. Riley, welcome to the show, and Thank looking you. forward to seeing you guys a whole lot more here pretty we'll soon. We'll see a whole lot more if you like it or not, uh, right. whether you like it or not. We'll always love seeing you. Uh, Zach Wilson, James Empey, coming up next. This is BYU's Football Media Day coverage on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio. Zach receives the shotgun snap, quarterback draw, shoving off a would-be tackle right into the end zone. He goes, Zach Wilson, touchdown. You're listening to Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. That's a good play-by-play segue. Thank you, Terry South. A media day coverage continues on the offensive side of the ball with a quarterback and the guy who snaps him the ball. In 2018, both of these guys were freshmen. Quarterback Zach Wilson was right out of high school. Center James Empey was coming off a redshirt season, but both guys were getting their first taste of college football and both excelled. James started every game at center, was BYU's highest graded offensive lineman, and was named to the Football Writers Association of America freshman All-America team, while Zach started the final seven games of the season, led the team in passing, and set a slew of records during BYU's win over Western Michigan in the Potato Bowl. It is a pleasure to welcome into Studio 2 quarterback Zach Wilson and center James Empey. Hello, guys. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, James, congrats, by the way, on the honors you earned last season. That's a big deal. Um, how important was your redshirt year to what you were able to accomplish last year? 
thank you. Um, it was uh, it was pretty important. I, I feel like uh, a lot of times, a lot of players coming off missions, it's it, they call it uh, the mission legs, and that's probably a pretty accurate statement. Where you, you come back and and you're just, I mean, you've taken two years off and do, doing something completely unrelated to football. So you come back and you're a little out of shape and a lot lighter than you should be. So it, it gave me a lot of time to um, put on some weight and, and get stronger and get myself ready. But it also gave me a lot of time to to learn from seniors like Tijon and Tooney and Kean and, and those guys um, in the inside last year and or two years ago to learn from them and, and kind of get a feel for how things go. Um, and so it definitely helped a lot just with um, the feel of everything, but also physically. It, it, um, I thought my retro year was extremely important to me. So freshman All-America is a big deal, and uh, Coach Grimes told us a few moments ago just how much he appreciated what you were able to do last year, and he says you know, the line, including James, were really good for young guys. Now it's about just being good and forget the young guys part. You know what he's trying to say there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, being a freshman All-American is cool. Brady was also had those honors, and and we were known for being young guys last year, and, and all that's great. Um, but now we want to uh, take it up to the next level and, and be great for um, not just young guys, but be a great O-line altogether, you know what I mean? So um, I think Coach Grimes is exactly right. It's it's good um, to play okay while you're young. Now it's time to, to get a lot better and, and be, be great. Zach, uh, whenever you mention throwing shoulder surgery, a uh, fan reaction is going to range from, well, oh, I'm sure he'll be fine, to total freakout. Uh, how did it all turn out in the end? Yeah, so it's been good. I mean, I'm not even close to kind of where I'm supposed to be yet, but it's, it's a process, and I've only been throwing for about 18 days now since the beginning of this month. And, um, you know, it's just taken one day at a time, and you've got to have that confidence and belief that you're going to come back better than it was. And, you know, I still got some time until till fall camp comes but the progress I've made up to this point and, and the way that rehab has gone has been you know tremendous and you know I think it's a good a good thing that, that, that I had the surgery done. You know we always talk about the terms on schedule and you mentioned percentages where you're at and and all that being said when it's time to report and hit the field in late July you're good to go as far as you're concerned? Yeah as far as I'm concerned I should be good to go um, late July I'm hoping you know Coming, coming this time soon, I should be feeling great. And, and then that time is spent more to, you know, building the connections, just getting comfortable with the offense, all that kind of stuff up until fall camp. Kalani talked uh, in the first hour of the show about the procedure, and, and he mentioned, tell me if this is accurate here, that, that your surgeon was the same guy that did Drew Brees and Andrew Luck. Is that accurate? Or so was he involved with it? Yeah, so he didn't do the same as theirs, but, but the, the reason why he was so good was because he specialized in the arm. And so I went out to San Diego. His name was Heinz Henneke. He did... Um, he was a Padres doctor for 20 years, so he didn't specifically do theirs. I know Drew Brees got his done by Dr. Andrews. Um, he, mentioned, I, he mentioned their protocol, I guess, how this guy, he was really familiar with both the quarterback's protocol. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, so 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 the reason why I went to him was because of the physical therapy, the rehab stuff I was getting was direct was directed for somebody that was supposed to be a thrower. I was doing a lot of stabilizing stuff. I was doing a lot of strengthening stuff that was different from what the other shoulder guys had done just because they knew how important it is to be a thrower and the things you needed to have done first. So it was cool that I went out to them. But I know Drew Brees and Andrew Luck, I'm not sure where he had his done, but Drew Brees was, was Dr. Andrews, and he did a lot of the same stuff. And both of us had you know, gone through the whole John Beck 
protocol and the whole strengthening stuff now that I've passed four months. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speak, uh, John Beck, have you been able to uh, uh, hang out with him, work out with him at all here, uh, or do you plan to here before the season? Yeah, so I haven't yet just because I haven't been healthy enough yet, but Mm -hmm. I do have it planned um, to come up on the couple breaks that we have. So I'll go out there a couple times before the um, fall camp time comes around, but me and him have been talking back and forth, and we had a good um, talk a lot through last season of just different games and different reads and things, so um, he's a great mentor as well, and so it'll be good to get back out there and work out with him. Was it hard for their competitor and you to sit out spring, or were you okay with it all? Yeah, it was. It was really rough to sit there and watch throughout spring, but I just I just remember, and I looked back to spring last year, how quick spring went by, and then you know the amount of time we had off until fall camp comes again, and, and spring definitely... Um, I would say fades, like for sure, and a lot of guys, you know, start to get rusty on the offense again, and it's almost like another restart once, once again. So it wasn't like I missed too much. I feel like I'm coming back, and I'm kind of hitting it in stride where a lot of the guys are. Okay, uh, James, uh, you were snapping uh, for a lot of last season to a true freshman. Uh, how did he step up the challenge uh, of taking charge of an offense at that position as a young kid? Um, he, he stepped up big time. He um, Zach is a is a is a confident guy, and he gets in there and. Um, he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about and, and he's confident in himself. And, and so when, when he stepped in the huddle, we, we all had confidence in him because he knew that um, we knew that he was going to get the job done and, and do his thing. Um, I remember one play, he comes in and he calls a play and he gives me a wink and then he scores. And so <laughs> the, the game comes easy to him. Knowledge-wise, he can kind of see things happening and, and he understands it well. And, and it was easy to, to get behind a guy like that. Were you noticing that balls were not hitting the ground in the bowl game, or were you just like next play, next play? I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't think anybody did till afterwards, and they were like, "Yeah, he threw a perfect game." And we we're like, "What? That's crazy!" But um, we knew he was making some crazy throws, so we we knew that. That was a fun one. Uh, I'll give this to each of you: low point and high point of last season for each of you, Zach. Um, just being inconsistent throughout the season. I mean, we had so many different identities. I mean, you'd watch one game to the next, and you'd just be like, geez, this doesn't even look like the same team. So I would say the high point going into this next season is is that we, we found what we want to do. We found our game plan. Everyone's bought into it, and we're going to try and you know go out there and, and consistently, no matter the team we're going to play, go out there with the same game plan um, to approach all these guys. James, what was your low and high last year? Um, I, I honestly probably disagree with, with Zach on that one. I, I feel like we had a lot to learn last year. Um, and we did that, and because of because of the learning, you know, you have that learning curve, and and things weren't exactly how you wanted them to be. And and the high point is just finishing the way that we did, and um, and the excitement that we have for the future, and just being able to um, just being able to to move forward, building on 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 the things that we we finished on, the things that we worked on in the spring, and the things that we're working on in the summer, just being able to put it all together. Okay, last thing for you too, Zach Wilson, James Empey. Uh, I'm sure you've heard during your media rounds today that BYU is the only team in the country opening with four straight P5s in 2019. Knowing that's what's on the BYU uh, docket to get things going, how jacked are you, how excited for you, and um, uh, maybe mindful are you of just the challenge that exists here in the, in the first month with those first four games? Uh, James, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough four games, but but bring it on. We're we're gonna be ready. We're gonna put in the work um, this summer and in fall camp and every day up until until the first game. So we're uh, we're looking forward to it. We we love the challenge and and we're ready to go. Zach, yeah, I would just say um, the first four game schedule is it's it's quite insane to see how um, how big of a deal people make it. I mean, if I if I had to say, I mean, it's it's an amazing opportunity. I mean. 
to say we're the only team that gets to play that good of a schedule is, is good for us. I mean, I would say that just gives us an opportunity to prove how good we are. I mean, I wouldn't want to go and beat up on a bunch of teams that no one gives a crap about. I mean, I want to go play against these teams that everyone's like, okay, like if they're winning, they're one of the best teams around. So it's, it's just a great opportunity for us to prove ourselves. And what's the opener mean to you right now? Yeah, the opener is, you know, it's, it's a game just like every other game. But I think we have to approach this game like we do the rest of the season. I mean, this game is a big game just because, you know, obviously the record behind it and and um, the streak that they have and, and, and the way that we ended last year wasn't good. And, uh, you know, we had a great start to that game and we didn't finish well. And I know a lot of us have taken that in and we're, we, we're trying to find what what was the difference in that game, why we couldn't finish. And so a lot of us are, are taking it one step at a time, going back over the film, learning what we could have done better, and we're just going to apply it. And then, you know, a lot of us just can't wait till that game comes. All right. I'm with you. Uh, good luck in your continued rehab as you get ready to, to, to get 100% by the time you need to be. And, uh, James, thanks to you as well for coming in. So, Zach and James, appreciate it, and uh, good luck on the opener. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks All for right, having me. All right. That's Zach Wilson and James Empey. We've got more BYU Football Media Day coverage coming up after the break. Tyson Williams and Emmanuel Isuka are coming up next. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio. Play fake. Wilson on the seam. Caught by Bushman. 10-5. Touchdown, Cougars! This is Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Grubel. Welcome back inside Studio 2 for our Behind the Mic coverage of BYU Football Media Day 2019. BYU's run game last season was an equal opportunity committee. Five players gained between 350 and 450 rush yards, and no running back played more than 11 games. There was some injury trouble. This season, BYU's hoping for more and hoping to be bigger and better and healthier in the backfield. Thanks in part to my next guest. They are graduate transfers into the BYU program, Emmanuel Isupa from Rice and Tyson Williams from South Carolina. Good to have you both in. Thank you. First of all, uh, media day impressions uh, here at the BYU Broadcasting Building. Emmanuel, we'll start with you. What do you think so far? Yeah, these facilities are crazy. You know, um, it's got, it kind of reminds me of like the ESPN uh, headquarters in Connecticut. Um, these, these are very nice, and it's, it's nice to have everybody out and, and doing this for the fans. So, having Ty- a good time. Tyson? Yeah, so like, like Emmanuel said, I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's first class. So, um, it's a great building. and. Um, I don't think you could, you could do much better than this. Now, when you leave here and head down to the football facilities, when you get down there, you're also looking at some pretty uh, some pretty high class facilities, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah, I've been enjoying myself lately. Tyson, how about you? You've been in the SEC. You know what big time football looks like. How does BYU stack up? Uh, stacks are pretty good. Stacks are pretty good. Um, the only the only thing I would say probably maybe could get an update maybe the locker room, but other than that, I mean the facilities is great. The indoor is probably one of the biggest I've ever seen. So right there. Good to hear. Uh, Emmanuel, you are a Texas native, right? Yes, sir. Uh, you in football, football, of course, in high school, football, of course, some track as well? Yes, sir. I ran track in high school, um, 100-200, and then 100-200 relays. So, uh, yeah, yes, sir. Uh, what, was, um, what was a bigger thrill for you, um, finishing first either individually with a team in a race or scoring a touchdown? Uh, definitely scoring a touchdown because, you know, uh, I, I love the game, of football, the, the game of football way more than, you know, the sport of track. But um, if you win a race by yourself, I mean, that that's that's an amazing feeling too. So uh, I have to say football just because I, I like the sport more, but it's a great feeling to win a race as well. Tyson, what were your sports in addition to football? Uh, track and basketball. So. And what were, you, what were you running in track? Track was 100 and 200. Okay. So have you guys, you guys ever thought about racing? 
Nah. I think that I held on last nah. week though. Oh yeah, he's trying yeah. to call me out on my yeah. speed, <laughs> and I had to tell him. Yeah. I, had, I had to do the math for him. Yeah, yeah, I was because uh, they had they had like some um, like we were running sprints, and so they had like first flight, second flight. Mm-hmm. So I guess the flights were based upon your speed, you know. So I was like, you know, why am I, why is he ahead of me? You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> they were saying that. I mean, it's it's still kind of early, so it was a lot of. Uh, Oh, I had to make a few adjustments as the summer goes on. <laughs> a few adjustments. Uh, you are from uh, Sumter, South Carolina. Yes, sir. Uh, but you started your college career at North Carolina. Yes, sir. Ended up back at South Carolina. Yes, sir. Um, why UNC, and then what brought you back home, if you will? Uh, UNC, I think coming out of high school was just like I said. I mean, I kind of look for a place that can kind of do both academics and get provide me, you know, uh, a great a great uh, athletic career as well. Um, but, you know, things just didn't work out as planned. And so, I mean, what better to do than, than go home? And um, my time at South Carolina, I really don't have any any negative things to say. Um, so it's just a, t- a chance for me to grow, you know, as a player, as a person, as a student. And, um, you know, it's prepared me for where I'm at today. How would you describe your Gamecock career as a player? Um, I would think, I would say... It was kind of uh, it was kind of a cha- it was kind of a challenge, um, just being that I mean, we uh, that was like my first time actually on the field, so just kind of getting adjusted to I mean that's that league is is, is pretty hard, you know what I'm saying? Game in and game out, so um, I think that just getting adjusted to the schedule and then also um, just like the the rotation that we had, um, it was just kind of hard to kind of get going at times, but. Um, other than that, I mean, the lessons that I've learned and the people that I've met, um, I'm just forever grateful for, for, for my time being there. Emmanuel, what did you get out of your experience at uh, Rice? Yeah, so, I mean, I got a lot of people that uh, I would call my brothers, you know, forever. Uh, gained a lot of great friendships there, met a lot of great coaches there. Um, and I also got, you know, um, the, a grit to me because, you know, it was a grind to get through that school, you know, with the academics and, you know, uh, the football was hard because, you know, we were losing a, a lot and it was just kind of hard mentally. And uh, it, it it showed that, you know, um, I can get through a lot and I learned a lot by myself through those times. So I'm very grateful to, you know, have graduated from that university. Your position coach while there was a guy named A.J. Stewart, right? Yes, sir. And so uh, I'm, I'm just going to draw a quick conclusion that your connection to A.J. helped get you to BYU. Yes, sir, it did. <laughs> Yeah, he was a great influence just because, you know, um, the familiarity, uh, you know, I I know how he coaches and he knows how I learn. So that was an easy, easy one. So, Emmanuel, you had a tie then with Coach Stewart. Tyson, you have no natural ties to BYU. So what got you out here? Yeah, so I think, like I said, uh, me coming on the visit was kind of what did it all for me, just being, you know, able to see how things were on a day-to-day life. And just building a relationship with Coach Stewart and Coach Grimes um, just throughout the process. I mean, it was kind of up and down. And like I said, it, it kind of was just built off trust, you know. So uh, especially with the grad transfer stuff, there's so many hoops and hurdles that you have to get through. So um, a lot of trust is, is involved throughout that process. For both of you, knowing that you've got one year, like this is it, you've got one year to go, how much does that let you pour, if it's possible, even more than you did into what you did before, knowing this is it? Oh, yeah, there's definitely extra motivation knowing that this is it. You know, um, uh, your workouts are different. Um, you know, you're lifting weights different. You, you spend the extra time anywhere you can to get better. Um, so it, it's, it definitely is different. It's a, it's a lot of extra motivation. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, it's just 
you know, everything that you do, you kind of know it's like, hey, this is my, this is my last chance. So it's just like you want to leave it all out there. You know, you want to dedicate as much time to your craft as you can and just be the best possible fl- possible player, you know, when the season comes around. Knowing it's your final year and you're coming, you obviously wanted a situation where you both felt you could play and where they needed someone like you. Now that you're here and you know that you're part of a group of guys, now it's all about the competition, right? Um, it's not so much may the best guy win, but let's go out and find the best group of backs to put on the field. How do you guys view what we're going to see in August as a competition in the backfield? Tyson? Yeah, so I see um, it'll be a great competition. But like I said, I know me and, me and uh, Emmanuel just being older guys of the group, just being able to provide some leadership um, for the younger guys and just help bring them along the way. But um, I definitely think fans will be pleased with the product that we put out on the field. Just being that, I mean, it's a great mix of, of guys, you know, older um, and younger. But um, the talent is there nonetheless. Yeah, the competition will be great. It'll be a lot of fun, you know, to, you know, someone goes out there and makes a great pay, play and you try to do better, you know what I mean? So it's going to be a, a great time, but I also think it's like a partnership because in the end we all want to win games. We all want to be Utah. So that's what we're here for, and uh, that's what we're all going to help each other do. Yeah, now that you mention it, I'll ask that question. Um, do you guys really have an idea of what BYU versus Utah really means around here? Yeah, I felt it a little bit just from everybody uh, talking about it, talking about the rivalry. But you know, I'm not gonna know exactly what's going on until I feel it and I and I get out there and start playing. You know, so but I, I know it's a huge rivalry. So would it have been Rice and Houston, Rice and what would be the, 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 the big Our one for you? Our close rivalry would be yeah, it'd be U of H. You yeah, say okay, Houston. would have been Rice, Houston, and for you, it would have been Clemson. Yeah, Clemson and Georgia. Yeah, Clemson. Yeah. Okay, so so and BYU, Utah. You've already got a feel for what this is going to be all about on August 29th. Uh. A little bit, but I think for me, like I said, I mean, we really won't know until we get there in that atmosphere, you know, and, um, you know, the bus pulls up to the stadium and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's here now, you know, so um, I think, I think nonetheless, we'll we'll be ready. You just left uh, SEC country and in week two, we're going to SEC country. So (laughs) what should BYU fans know about playing at Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee, I mean, it's just a great fan base. Um, the stadium holds like a hundred thousand, so um, you know, to so all the BYU fans, if we can get, you know, if we can get there and uh, just try to have a great showing, um, it'll definitely, it'll definitely mean a lot. But um, yeah, I think, you know, like I said, you know, we're looking into each game and expecting to to win each each and every game on the schedule. Emmanuel, uh, your thoughts on BYU's schedule? Four straight P5s to open the season, playing at Tennessee, three Pac-12s in there. Uh, you're coming to uh, one of the most challenging uh, slates, certainly in the first month of the season that anyone's going to play. Uh, how excited were you for the schedule you got to play? Uh, I can't wait. I wish I could just hop in a time machine and just go straight to it right now. <laughs> you know, um, uh, seeing that got me very excited, and I, I just can't wait till we can get some uh, wins in those first four games and prove to the world that um, we're here now. Okay, the last thing for you both, uh, I'm sure when you did research on, on, on the schools you were considering, the kind of offense you'd be playing in had to come up. And, and now that you've seen a little bit about personnel and coaching and style of play, uh, what do you think about BYU's offense and what it might be able to do here in 2019, Manuel? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. Um you know, for all of our backs to not only just um, run the ball, but like cast the ball at the backfield, uh, so that we could pass block and stuff like that. Line up in different positions. So um, I think it would be a, a great fit for, um, uh, especially us, our, our, our grad transfers, older guys. And um, I'm, I'm excited for what uh, Coach Grimes uh, is going to drop for us this season. Tyson, what do you think? Yeah. So I mean, in this offense, I mean, from 
uh, running backs aspect, you're gonna be, you're gonna be asked to do you know uh, all the things that you need: uh, pass block, catch the ball, run the ball. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's a great offense. You know, it's built off of built around a great quarterback, um, great tight ends, great offensive line, so um, and great receivers as well. So I don't really think you know the offense is lacking you know at any position. So it'll definitely be a great year. Okay, so that was the last thing. One last, last thing. If you could each describe your running style for our fans out there, the kind of running back you are, and then we'll let you go. Tyson? Um, I would say I'm just an all-around back. I pride myself in just being able to do it all, run the ball, pass catch, um, pass blocking. I just I take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, you know, um, I've always been a power back, you know, that bigger guy that, you know, just the ground and pound guy. But uh, I'm trying to transition to being like someone that could just do everything you know, uh, be an all-around back. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. Well, it's good to meet you both. Thanks for coming in, making this part of your media day, and all the best in your grad transfer senior years as BYU Cougars. Thanks, guys. Yes, Thank sir. you. Thank all you. right, Tyson Williams and Emmanuel Esupa. We're back to close out BYU Football Media Day. We've got Diane Gonwoloku and Zane Anderson to close out the show coming up next here on BYU Radio. Diane Gonwoloku lining up in the backfield. Toss back to Gonwoloku. It's Diane a deep drop on the third and three. He fires it. Intercepted! Zane Anderson steps in front and picks it off, and the Cougars back in business. Big play for the Zane train. This is Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Now back to the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. We are back on our BYU Football Media Day edition of Behind the Mic, and we are closing the show by heading back to the defensive side of the ball when healthy linebacker Zane Anderson is among BYU's most dominant defenders. Voted a team captain before last season. Zane got into only four games before taking a redshirt season, but he's back for one more go-round. Defensive back Diane Gomoliku is somehow already a senior. Wow, this flew by. And he heads into his final season, having established himself as a primetime playmaker. Five career INTs, five career fumble recoveries, three career touchdowns, one on a pick six, one on a fumble return, and yes, one on offense in the last game he played. Pleased to welcome into studio two, Zane Anderson and Diane Gomoliku. Hello, guys. So, what's up, what's so up? let's maybe start, Diane, with you and that offensive touchdown. What was Shoot. the, uh, yeah, how did that come about? It's a play we've been practicing called scrum, uh, and it's pretty much like, you know, one of those plays you just work on all practice and you never run it in games. And the first time I think we actually ran it was in the Utah game when Matt Hadley scored off of it. And uh, we ended up running it again in uh, the bowl game, and Matt was hurt, so I was the next man up. And then Austin Kofensis was the quarterback. So I went in, and Austin had a key block. He blocked like a big D tackle. Yeah. I know he had a headache, and it's pretty much just like a little sweet play, and everyone just like the little league just rumble in the end zone. Now it's a good thing that you'd run the play once before because I was better prepared to call it the second time. The first time it <laughs> happened, it was I was I was kind of trying to figure out who's actually out there, and all of a sudden the ball's in the end zone. This yeah. time I was a little more ready, so I had you. I got a good play call. <laughs> it worked out pretty well. But uh, thank goodness I'd seen it once already. Oh, yeah. So uh, three touchdowns, uh, two defensively. Uh, defensive players don't always get the thrill of the end zone. Uh, you've had it a couple times. Um, is is that kind of like? Uh, um, the thing every defensive player dreams about, or is that just it's no you know contributing one way or the other is fine. But it's scoring a pretty yeah. big deal to you. Not really. It's just the whole getting the turnover thing. If you score, that's an extra reward for me. I feel like, but just getting the initiative, like turnover, getting the ball back for the defense and scoring off it, like I said, is just extra bonus for you. So celebrate on your own time with your teammates. Okay, Zane. What about Diane's ball skills? Oh, they're incredible. I think. 
Um, a lot of people, like, you don't want to throw to his side if you're a quarterback. If you see him out there at safety, corner, nickel, he plays it all. And so um, I just think he's a ball player. And like, he just, wherever the ball is, Dian's there. The great thing about it is he does play it all. Um, how do you consider yourself right now, corner or safety? Uh, right now I'm working my way down to play mostly corner. So we'll see. Maybe some safety is up in there still. So really, I mean, we don't need to necessarily pigeonhole you into a position because you could be in any, at any number of spots right now, oh, right? Oh, yeah, that's for sure. That's a good thing, though. If you've got a defensive backfield that versatile where you can throw multiple guys out there, it's 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 all the better, right? Oh, yeah. Zane, um, I guess shoulder surgeries are the thing that we do now uh, with this team. Uh, we've had a few here in the off offseason. Um, when did yours take place exactly? Um, in October. It was still in season, obviously. Yep. Um, how did the recovery? You're farther along than the other guys, I yeah. guess. How are you? I'm doing good. No, I've, I feel almost fully recovered. I haven't gotten into contact or anything yet, but um, just training and everything, I'm back full go and getting my strength back. Because you've been through it, uh, are you any help to the guys that are going through it right now in terms of how to pace yourselves, don't get too excited, go by the protocol, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's kind of helped being, I mean, there's a group of us and a lot of us were starters. And so we would go over and hit legs across the street, just on the leg press. Um, we would all stick together, and those guys would ask me questions, like where my recovery is. I would ask them questions. And so even though it was unfortunate, all of us had the same thing, but it was it helped a lot too, you know. But, uh, peop- I mean, when, when Zach talks about being feeling like he'll be full go when camp comes, that's reasonable to expect knowing him and, and how this r- protocol goes? Yeah, 100%. I think you get what you put into it too, and I think he's really, really working really hard on getting back and getting his shoulder back and his arm strength back to throw the ball. And I've seen a couple of videos, as probably you guys have, yeah, yeah. and he's looking good. Dian, how's your health? It's solid. <laughs> I just had that little ankle injury like during the season, missed like three games, but other than that, it's good. So you're feeling good? Nothing to worry about with you, right? Yeah. Uh, Zane, linebacking core. Um, Coach Lamb was on with us earlier, and he said there's, there's really no – I don't want to necessarily – give you a depth chart right now i don't want to list but he said there are a couple of guys i'm comfortable penciling in you're one of them of course uh how would you describe the core around you of guys you've got uh, that are able to play at linebacker um i feel really confident with this group we have i think we're young and um but we're talented and those younger guys are going to be a key for us this year i think you've got isaiah back on the boundary side um he's a, he, he showed he can play really well um and a couple younger guys you've got max tooley um, Jackson Kafusi. Um Chaz is back. Chaz is back. Yeah. Chaz is a baller. Um Keenan, um, Peely is gonna be a really good player. Um and so when I look back at all those guys, I just see BYU linebacker core is safe for the next little bit. So when you're done, you'll be done here at some point. Um we're gonna be we'll be in good hands? Yeah, we'll be in good hands for sure. Uh, coach Lamb, uh, you worked with him as a safety. You now get him as a linebackers coach. Uh, he wears a few hats uh, on this team. We heard today the story about his uh, his kidney stone during the Wisconsin game. Did you know about that at any point? Did you hear about that? I was watching that yeah. a lot this morning, and I still didn't know about. But during the game, I saw him go down. And I was like, "What the heck?" And I was like, "Ask him about it." Like. A game later or something when I was hurt, I was like, whatever happened? And he's, he to- totally avoided it. Like, he so really, like, so like, like it wasn't about really it. fully revealed to you at the time no. that he was going through? No, I had no idea. But I saw him go down and I was like, <laughs> what the heck? But, so now, now that you know the story, like his toughness level goes up enough, oh, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, he always talks about being a man, manly oh, yeah. man and he uh, he redefined it. Right? <laughs> I guess he kind of proved it. Yeah. Um, Diane, I made, I made the comment in the intro to you that somehow you're already a senior. I just don't see how it's already gone. Do you get the same sense that this thing kind of fly by for you, your time here at BYU? Yeah, it's gone by fast. Like Me and Zane were just barely talking about it because we were roommates when we first came our freshman year. And we were just talking about how 
it's flown by so fast. Like we're going to our fifth year, and I don't. I feel like we just got here like last year, but it's good. That's where you got to live it up. Uh, I ask everyone about it, so I'll ask you guys too. Uh, your thoughts on a schedule that again, not not everything. I mean, there's still games to play once you get through uh, September, but that September is a load, right? Um, we all know how 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 P5 teams can take a toll on you, and how you got to be deep to withstand it. And they're just good teams in general. How do you guys each view the first four, balanced with the fact that you've got eight more to play, Diane? Uh, we just we just go game by the time, like one game at a time. Like we've been focusing on Utah right now, and it's all Utah. And but we still haven't forgotten about the other teams. We have a whole like sheet out from the GAs that put up formations and all that for the other teams. But once we're just going game by game, and when the time comes, we're on like the end of our schedule. We're, I feel like we're still going to be the same, still mo- still motivated to beat those teams the same way, play at the same high intensity. Zane. Um, no, I, I say the same thing. I think we're with this tough season. Um, we're taking a lot of preparation for, it, and I think that's what's necessary. But um, I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't think anyone on our team. I don't think any other alumni would like they would kill to have this schedule. Um, being at these places, being able to play at home with these great teams come in. Um, I think it's remarkable, and I'm really excited along with my teammates. And so, I think with preparation. Um, I think we're, we'll be set. What's best about having Utah as game one for you, Zane? Um, I was talking about this earlier. I think that um, I think it's good to jump right in the fire. I think Utah is a great team, and we're going to face five great teams in a row. And why not start off set us right in the fire? You know what I mean? And um, playing Utah, I was sending that game out last year, nine months ago, and uh, as the seconds take down the clock, I was I was pretty upset and I just in the back of my head I'm like nine months nine months nine months and so just having that game right after the, our, our last loss with them um, I think it's really a blessing to get this first game. Diane your thoughts too on having Utah right out of the gates? It's for revenge because like Zane said we lost that game and it was heartbreaking to see them come back and beat us like that but we get another opportunity another chance to show what we got and we're all ready everyone's healthy you're getting healthy and we're ready to give it our all and win the game. Do you guys know your your report date yet? Is it uh, July? What do you have a report date yet? Camp start date? Do you guys know your date yet? Was it July? In July, like July twenty sixth. Yeah, it's like twenty sixth of July. Okay, start earlier this year. We know that August 29th is is game one, and we know that uh, it's 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 home uh, with a new tailgate thing outside. Fans will be pumped up, ready to go. And you guys will be, too. Thanks for coming in today and uh, sharing part of your media day with me. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, thank you, All right, Dango Moloku and Zane Anderson, and that is going to do it. Thanks to the guys for coming in studio, and thanks to all of today's guests on Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Thanks to producer Terry South and to Cougar Nation for tuning in. This has been a special BYU Football Media Day edition of Behind the Mic. We look forward to having you back with us for the season opener, BYU versus Utah, 8.15 p.m. Mountain Time on Thursday, August 29th at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Till then... I'm Greg Rubel saying so long and go Cougs!